0: Brewers baseball fans, welcome to episode 65 of the you from Bernie Chalet Podcast. 16th 2013 i am your host in germantown wisconsin jason Donlinger, and joining me in kenosha wisconsin alex Wearsome. and for the first time in not whitewater but McGuanago, wisconsin it's brad ford how's it going tonight guys brad how are the new digs
1: uh they're good closer to civilization so that's always nice but still not in civilization so we're getting there but uh you know like I was telling you before the show, it's nice because my apartment now doesn't look like a jail cell <laughs> because every apartment in Whitewater is meant for very poor college students or people who aren't going to spend a lot of time in there. And they're all painted one color paints falling off the ceilings. You maybe get a window. So it's uh, not welcoming. But uh, this is better. They redid everything. I got a new fridge, new stove, new paint job, new carpets. So fresh start in the apartment.
0: And I I saw some of your pictures on Facebook of your new place, and you have, like, Brewer's bobbleheads just randomly scattered throughout the place. (laughs) Instead of having them in one room and in one shelf, you seem to have them scattered throughout the apartment. Well, see, the
1: thing is, there's, I mean, it's just a bedroom, a bathroom, a living room, and then, like, the kitchen's half of the living room. So I didn't really have a place to just put them. So I was like, screwed, I'm going all over the place. And everyone's been making fun of me. Like, how can your girlfriend live with you with all these bobbleheads? But the compromise is she gets to put up a huge Doctor Who movie poster above the couch. And I get to throw my bobbleheads all over. Although it was hard to, I have too many bobbleheads to put out. So I legitimately had to like pick out my favorite ones and strone them across (laughs) which will be harder because now as the year goes on, I have to choose out like the new ones and right. figure out like there's a couple Prince Fielder ones that can go away. I have a Billy Hall one out that can go away. <laughs> uh, the Turnbow one staying just for the hair. Oh,
0: just for comedic <laughs> relief.
1: Same thing with uh, the, the Damien catcher with the catcher's Mask bobblehead. That one's staying.
0: That's one of my favorite ones actually that they've ever done because well, you know, Miller was a decent catcher for them, uh, uh, a Wisconsin uh, connection born guy and that that is just so cool that the mask can come on and off. I always yeah. love that one.
1: I especially love I have the retro uniform one and it's got right. like throw mask, the light blue mask. That's one of my yeah, I think that is one of my all-time favorites. They just had a really good bobblehead series that year cuz they started doing like interactive
0: pieces. Right. Yeah. And then, and then the, and then a couple years later, they did Kendall and Supon in the same year. And, you know, that was bad. Um, (laughs) before we, we're going to, we'll talk about Gene Segura here in a little bit and how awesome he is. But Alex, you, uh, you know, obviously last week we didn't do a podcast before that. It was just Brad and I. You were off on your disc golf adventure. Uh, did you have a good time? It looks like from the pictures you did.
2: Yeah. Um, well, it was a little not what we expected getting up there. Uh, luckily, we packed accordingly. Uh, lived
0: yeah, that's, no, that looked crazy. With all in Wisconsin,
2: you know, you have to be prepared for anything. So uh, <laughs> uh, uh, in the eight hours it took us to get up there because we stopped and played a couple courses along the way. Um, it snowed about 18 inches. Uh, and uh, pulling into the, the resort, the road that goes down it was uh, not plowed yet um and uh, well it's in the middle of nowhere so it's not surprising but um my buddy's oldsmobile was immediately stuck (laughs) in entrance and we had to call the uh, resort owner to come plow it out and it took him about a little over an hour so we kind of sat at the bar and watched the brewer game for a while that was on and uh had a few beers and went back but yeah i it was definitely a, a, a one of the craziest uh, disc golf adventures I've ever done because you know you're playing championship level courses in 18 inches of snow and eventually turned <laughs> into just slop and there was so many water hazards that were not supposed to be there just because of all the melting snow. By the end of the right. weekend, it was just yeah, it was fun. We had uh, we had our legs tied up with garbage bags and duct tape and uh, <laughs> had the Carhartt overalls on and got it done. You know. But uh, yeah. we were playing in the snow at the end of the weekend, but it was like 65. So, you know, it wasn't too bad.
0: You guys will have to, uh, if you do that trip again, maybe make it for a couple of weeks later just to make sure. The, you know. the
2: nice thing is is the, the guy that runs the place, he's like, you know, um, I had some guys cancel on me, but they didn't even tell me, you know, like yesterday, and I could have rented it out, like, you know, more guys out in the house. And um, he ended up upgrading us to the – the big like uh you know lodge they have there which we basically had to ourselves for most of the time until last day and uh he was like you know you guys are cool you're gonna you know play it out and everything so he gave us a free trip anytime we want to come back uh for a weekend or whatever he's gonna give us a free trip so that's cool we're gonna go back in august or something and uh hit it up again when it's green out not white
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome man glad you had a good time and uh safe travels and uh Glad you're back to uh, to talk Brewers with us. And uh, the the story that broke this week, uh, and it would seem to be perfect timing oh, since he's been absolutely tearing it up. But Gene Segura, uh, his agent Joe Klein, talked to FoxSports.com Ken Rosenthal and said that the Brewers had made an offer about a month ago, actually, to Segura, who is 23 years old uh on a, a long-term contract extension and uh obviously the brewers even before segura got off to this hot start saw something in him that they liked and wanted to try to get a uh, get him shored up and you know see exactly what they'd have to pay him over the next few years instead of going year to year with arbitration and then possibly to free agency so um Doug Melvin didn't really comment on it. He declined comment, and, uh, Klein said that, uh, right now the ball's in their court and, uh, it's just tough when a guy is this young and it's hard to figure out what the right numbers would be. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, that's oh, early for them. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, and I've <laughs> even got them in the room with me so they can't see outside. Shut up. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this is, uh, excellence in broadcasting folks. Um, so anyway, Segura, obviously off to a great start this year. That was a great trade last year to trade Granke to get him in the in Hellwig and Pena. And I guess it would come down to what do you pay him? What's fair to him? What what also is good for the team to take a risk on a guy this young, this early? And I don't know if there's a precedent set for shortstops. Maybe Elvis Andrews, the first deal he, he uh, had signed. But what do you guys think on Segura and signing him this early in his career?
1: Uh, well, it seems to just be the baseball trend. I mean, they did, the Cubs just did the same thing with Rizzo. It's yeah. what the Brewers did with Braun. It's what the Rays did with Longoria. It's just how baseball is going. You want to make sure you have security for these guys who can get up in the double-digit millions in their arbitration years because clearly segura i mean he's playing better defense than ever advertised uh, and he's hitting just as well as he did in the minors which a lot of people said he might not be able to Uh, he's leading the league in hits and he's only been caught twice out of 13 stolen base attempts so he's proving to be extremely valuable right now um and i mean if he keeps this up considering how valuable the shortstop position can be uh, it's he's going to be an expensive arbitration player. And I think that's kind of, with this spectacular start, that's what where the agent is thinking, as you were saying. Um, in his talk with Ken Rosenthal, he said the numbers are hard to hammer out because, I mean, right now, Gene Segura, for all we know, could be one of the greatest shortstops of all time. And you don't want to sign a seven-year, $30 million contract for a shortstop like that. Um, what I'd really like is if they could buy out all his arbitration and uh, rookie contract years and then do two options, maybe a team option and a mutual option for, and try and get seven years out of it, I think that would be fantastic, especially because then Gene could not go for the mutual option and go into free agency, which is probably what would happen at that point. But I still think it would s- save a lot of value and be something – where if you do get bitten in the butt by this, you still have a guy relatively cheap playing shortstop uh, locked in for a while. Um, but I just don't see them getting bitten. But not, I mean, it's hard to fu- like you said, there's not a lot of precedent. Um, I think Elvis Andrews is a good example. Um, and the Cubs, I believe, did lock up Starlin Castro last year. So that there's another example, but there's not a lot of example of young shortstops where there's a lot of precedent set for young power hitters and young pitchers. So it's kind of hard to find that perfect number for what you're aiming for. Yeah,
2: that's about right. I mean, Castro's probably the closest, and I think he got like 60 mil or something for seven years, um, which I think is kind of high. Um, but he had more experience already than Segura has, so he's kind of more established himself. And it wasn't, you know, so much of a risk for the Cubs to go for that kind of contract with him because – as you alluded to shortstops are a premium position in the league. They're going to continue to be a premium position because there just aren't that many that can play defense and play offense as good as, you know, the ones that are good. Um, so, I mean, these are going to be coveted guys. Um, Segura, if he keeps going on the pace that he's going, he's obviously going to be sought after if he ever goes, um, into free agency or ever gets a look at it, you know, another team gets a look at him. Um, so, I think locking him up is smart at this point because, you know, I think we have we have control of him for a while anyway. So, I think strengthening that that contract past the arbitration years and being able to lock him up that way, uh, I think we're going to get him way cheaper than we would be if we waited on a contract and um, kept him where he's at because. Uh, he would obviously want to leave then because he would say, well, this team doesn't want anything to do with me because they're going to let me make league minimum um, while I'm, you know, just raking at the plate. So, I mean, uh, it makes sense for Segura to, you know, take a long-term contract and it makes sense for the Brewers to give him a long-term contract, um, especially with, you know, going back how many years that we've had problems at the shortstop position. So um, I think, it's a smart play, and I think the Brewers should do it. As long as they can get it for the right price, I don't see any reason why not to sign him on to a deal.
0: Yeah, he's ARB eligible in 2016, so that means you could just renew his contract for two more years, and then uh, in sixteen, of course, he would become ARB eligible for three years, and then in 2019 is when he would hit free agency. So I think if they could work up a contract to at least buy up all the arbitration years. So you, you know, kind of what they did with Luke where you you're locked in and knowing what you're going to pay a guy instead of going year to year with arbitration, where you could save yourself some money. And then if they could maybe, you know, they, like you said, Brad, do an option or two for his first and second year of free agency, or even, you know, buy out maybe just all the Arb years in one year of free agency. And then he wouldn't be a free agent until, uh, 2020. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he, it's, a, it's a gamble for both sides, obviously. I mean, the player's taking a gamble because he could end up making more money going year-to-year ARB and then on the open market and free agency. But the team's taking a huge gamble because they're giving a guy guaranteed money for, you know, five, six, seven, eight years, and he could end up, you know, he could just be a flash in the pan or he could get hurt. So, you know, it's kind of give and take. Does the player want to have stability and security? you know, in place of taking maybe a little less money and the team, do they want to take that risk And knowing that if they don't take that risk and he ends up blowing up and being as good as, as he has shown that uh, he'll end up leaving in 2019 and, and cost you a heck of a lot of money uh, 2016 through 2018. So uh, Alex, you, you know, Castro, I forgot about him, that the Cubs had short him up. So yeah, I'd say him and Andrews are the two uh, scenarios you look at right now. And, I mean, I think we all knew Segura was gonna be a damn good player when the trade went down last year. I don't think anyone expected his defense to be as good as it's been uh this year. And then hitting wise, I I you know, I thought maybe this year he'll hit ten to twelve home runs, maybe as much as fifteen. He's already got seven and batting average wise, I thought, you know, maybe he'll hit two eighty, two ninety, you know, with you know, some doubles and triples. But you know, here is he's just he's hitting for all kinds of power. He's stealing bases at a great clip, you know, 13 for 15. uh, Leads the league in hits, I think, multi hit games. He's just been incredible, to say the least.
1: And I think, too, I think uh, looking at Starlin Castro's contract, they'd probably do something similar because Starlin is seven years and then the last year is a team option with a $1 million buyout. But I think they'd probably go less annually early in the contract and probably. Closer to what he's making annually later in the contract, which would probably put him about seven years, 50 to 55 million, which at the la- I mean, at the 50, 50- if you're getting her really at six years, 40 million, if you're not counting that option. So I think that's something I could tolerate because if by that point he's proven it, that he's our guy and he's fantastic and he's everything he's shown to be so far. Then at that point, he's worth 15 to 18 million in the last year when he turns 30. And then, two, it's the same advantage that we talked about earlier with Carlos Gomez of, hey, we're buying out his prime years. And then he gets to go. He'll probably go somewhere else, make a ton of money and he'll age and that money won't be worth it anymore and we will have gotten his best years out of him so it's a happy balance but it's just finding the right amount because i'm sure the brewers don't want to pay that 70 or 50 million that the cubs ended up paying to castro
2: 60 million
1: or 60 million right i said 50 million for segura but it was 60 million for castro gotcha
0: well and one of the 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 great things about Segura so far this year is the uh the ability to hit with power to center field over to right field he's you know of his seven home runs I, I mean I can't even think what did he maybe pull one of them and I think the other six are from center over to right which is just awesome for a young kid 23 years old only you know this being his first full season you know he had the 163 plate appearances last year but to be able to drive the ball to the opposite field the way he has already, it's just damn impressive. And it's, uh, it's too bad. He had, I think, I think you need to have uh, less than 160 plate appearances in a season to be able to qualify for rookie of the year, the following year. So he just went over that last year because I think he would probably run away with it this year if he was eligible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He did just go over it. And he, I mean, it's almost a no brainer at this point. I mean, he could be competing. He'd have to maintain what he's doing all here, which is a lot to ask of a 23 year old. But if he did maintain it, he'd be in the running for MVP at this point. Um, I mean, just his numbers are off the chart, amazing. The only person really doing better than him is Carlos Gomez and they're playing in the same lineup, but I mean, it's just, it's been a lot of fun to get that much or this much out of the Granky deal because we were all hesitant of what we'd get out of trading Granky earlier last year. And then I know we were all happy out getting Gene Segura back, but just for the player he's been so far, it's been just extremely enjoyable and probably more than most of us expected.
0: He, uh, you know, when the trade went down last year. I think we all were hoping we, they would get a shortstop from whoever, whoever we traded Granky to. We were hoping that they had a good young shortstop that we could get back in return. And, you know, a lot of people thought, Oh, Texas and pro far. Well, Texas wasn't going to trade pro far. So that was kind of out, but Segura was the number two prospect in the angels organization only behind trout. So you knew that was damn good. And he was a shortstop. And then you threw, got the two pitchers. I don't think, most people thought that the Brewers would get as much back as they did for Granky. So to get a short, uh, you know, a, uh, a, um, franchise shortstop and cigar and then two young arms that could end up helping as well. I mean, that, that might go down as one of the best trades Doug Melvin's ever made or in Brewers history. So.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think what's really funny about it is I think the angels, the reason they gave up more than everyone was predicting they'd give up is I think they thought for sure that they'd be Zach Grinke's team of choice, mm-hmm. and he ended up going across town playing for the yeah. Dodgers. Yep.
0: Well, I think, yeah, they thought he would stay there, resign, and they were going to make the playoffs last year. I think once they got Grinke, they thought, well, we'll at least get in on a wild card here. So they would make the playoffs, be able to keep Grinke, and they already had Kendrick and Ibar on some uh, longer-term deals. So they maybe thought, well, Segura's good, but we've got guys – we really need to get Granky. We could keep Granky long-term and they went with it. And I'm sure now they, they definitely have to somewhat regret it. And uh, what was their loss has been a uh, tremendous gain for the Brewers and uh, Brewers fans. So, yeah, you know, hopefully um, they can get something done. I think that'd just be awesome to, uh, and, and so far a season that has had quite a few downs, you know, here we, you know, Thursday night, we're six games under 500. We're in the midst of a terrible road trip. Uh, but watching guy you know, Segura and Gomez uh, really step up, and then possibly getting Segura signed a long-term deal, I think would bring a lot of uh, happiness to the faces of Brewers fans. So
1: yeah, the one thing though it, that I said all through last year too is, if we're losing, at least we're watching young guys play, and that is or has been true is we're watching a lot of young guys go out there, develop, and have fun while playing. So that that part of it at least has been better than just watching us lose, which the first half of last year when you're watching all guy established guys who aren't learning, who aren't playing at the same high energy level a twenty three year old plays at, it uh, gets a little mundane after a while, especially when you're just watching them lose day in, day out, and they're all old guys.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, even uh, you know, Peralta and Burgos, you know, some of the young pitchers, uh, you know, Figaro I mean Kinsler's been healthy and throwing well so yeah the the younger guys we've been able to watch have, have made the losing not easy to take but a little more bearable I guess Yeah
1: absolutely and it although it, I still don't get how we're, with the uh I mean granted uh, we're lacking a lot of timely hitting but the bullpen's holding up the offense has been doing fine and it's it's just the starting pitching is giving up most times one too many runs, except for in Cincinnati, we're giving up things like 10 too many runs.
2: But, well, we have had like basically no timely hitting. It's not just like, yeah. not yeah. good. It's like none at all.
0: <laughs> yeah. They, they've been able to score runs, but not, you know, it's been in big bunches and then other games, like you said, Alex, they just can't get a hit with a runner in scoring position. So,
1: Although I did see the other day that we were 16 and 21 at the same point in the season in 2013, 2012, and 2011, Joe Black tweeted that out. So I mean, we can either go really bad or really good from here.
0: Realm of process or a whole realm of possibilities.
2: There's that optimism. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's take a break, and when we come back, uh, talk about K Rod. He was called up from AAA and placed on the active roster so we'll uh talk about where he fits in the uh the brewers bullpen it's episode 65 of the vfbc podcast
2: There's few things in this world you can trust but when you come and visit the VFBC podcast you can trust that we will deliver unfiltered unedited and unrelenting insight and perspective on the Milwaukee Brewers whether you're looking for Brad's power rankings the newest VFBC podcast or just fan perspective on the latest news in Milwaukee stop looking you found a home at the View from Bernie Chalet podcast and blog rate and review us on iTunes and check us out on Stitcher got some sweet tweets hit us up on Twitter at I am Jason D at Brew Crew B and at Brew Crew Blue. The VFBC podcast, a fan's perspective on the Milwaukee Brewers Baseball Club. Trust me, you'll like it.
0: View from Bernie Shelley podcast episode 65, Jason, Alex, and Brad. Yesterday, the Brewers called up Francisco K. Rod Rodriguez up from Triple A Nashville. Of course, they signed him uh, early into the season, and uh, he was working down in minor or um, extended spring training. Then went up to Brevard County, then to Nashville, and uh, they finally added him to the roster Wednesday. They had to activate him, otherwise he had an out clause in his contract, and uh, to make room, they optioned. Uh, utility player Blake Lally to AAA Nashville and then transferred Taylor Green to the 60-day DL to clear the spot on the 40-man roster. So K-Rod threw four scoreless innings with seven strikeouts uh, down in the minor leagues for the Brewers. And um, he also pitched in the World Baseball Classic for Venezuela uh, back in March. He's 31 years old, coming off of uh, a pretty horrendous year in 2012 for the Brewers. Had a chance to be the closer again, uh, blew just about every opportunity he was given. Uh, Of course, I was coming off of the tremendous 2011 he had when him and Axford paired for that uh, great duo to uh, end the game at the back of the bullpen. So uh, what do you guys think of K-Rod being called back up um, and where does he fit into this bullpen, which uh, now has eight men in it as uh, they're carrying 13 pitchers total on the active roster?
1: Well, I think right now, you as far as where he fits, it's really just got to be a trial and error. You have to see: Are you getting the K Rod of even, you know, twenty or two thousand nine, where he was reliable but not completely solid, or are you getting the K Rod from last year, where you send him out in any high pressure situation and he blows it? I mean, he did have seven losses last year, which is the highest of his career by far, um, and uh, to go with that, three blown saves. But you need to figure out if he has gotten over that, if he's cleaned up his mechanics. Because, sure, I mean, he did good in four innings of minor league work, but that's four innings of minor league work. Any major league pitcher should be doing good in four innings of minor league work. Um, but, I mean, if he, if you see that he starts to have success, so you, I mean, pitch him, you know, if, if a pitcher comes out, throw him in the sixth. Uh, maybe throw him in seventh where the lead, is either out of your control or the lead is close or more her well secured. Um, and then just put them in higher pressure situations. I think that's the only way to handle it uh, at this point, because you don't want to put him in, in anything important and get the K rider last year. And he gives up four or five runs. If he does start becoming more reliable, I'd love to see him in a, in a setup role or seventh inning role where he comes in in high pressure situations. Um, I mean, he's a really fun guy to watch. He's one of the most emotional pitchers you'll ever see. That's for sure. And I mean, he is a guy who holds an 11 K per nine rate. So he's always striking people out. He has a good career ERA and he, I mean, he also holds the single season record for saves. So he's a guy who, Definitely is extremely talented, and you want to see succeed for your team. But I just at this point I don't put him in anything too important until you know if you're getting K Rod of old or K Rod or the K Rod you had last year.
2: Well, if you look at his numbers, he's obviously going to be trending t- more towards the K Rod of last year. Um, he said he he owns a, almost 11 K per nine for his career, but he hasn't been able to hit you know 10 and above consistently since 2008 so the last year he only had 9k per uh per nine a lot of his numbers aside from walks which he's actually been able to lower a lot than he did in past years um a lot of his numbers are just not good um and i just don't see some sort of resurgence or whatever is going to happen um if he could, he can help us out for a little bit, I think, and I think our bullpen definitely needs some help, and if he's there, we might as well run him out there and see what he can do. But my my uh, optimistic you know tendency isn't very high on this one, so um, I was kind of hoping we wouldn't see him come up because like we talked about three weeks ago or whatever. If we do see him, it means one thing, and that our bullpen is not performing. Um, and more, more often than not, that's been the case is they have not been able to perform. So he's an arm that we can throw out there. I'm not too happy about it. I'm not expecting much, but you know, it is what it is.
0: I don't, you know, my, I don't have a problem with them trying it. My biggest concern was that they were going to send down a guy with options like a Kinsler or a Figaro which would have been totally asinine because those two guys have been two of our better pitchers out of the pen. So I I hate to see the bench a little short there, but Lally wasn't adding much anyways. So I guess that was the best decision. Um, The problem I think they're going to run into, I mean, hopefully K-Rod helps the team, but Gorzolani, when he can come back off the DL, then you're going to have a decision. Um, You know, Mike Fires just got recalled. He's just made the one appearance where he gave up the, uh, the game-winning home run to McCutcheon. On, two appearances. Uh, was it two? He, Maybe he, it was two. I think he
2: gave up another home run or something the next time.
0: I just remember the one on Tuesday night. I believe it was a Tuesday night game. Yeah, Tuesday night when he gave up the home run in extras to McCutcheon. I think it was like the first batter he had faced. But uh, anywho, you know, when Gorzlani comes back, they're going to have to make another decision. And – you know, I, still John Axford sits there um, with that 9 ERA and that whip of 2. And let's see how many earned runs has he given up now this year. 15 earned runs in um, 15 innings.
2: <laughs> good ratio there.
0: Uh, 16 runs total, just 15 earned. But, I mean, he's got an option left. I don't think they're going to send him down. I think they really feel that they can work through this up here. I don't know. If that's the best idea, I hope he can find it. I'm an Axford supporter. But um, if they keep Axford and keep Fires up and keep, you know, all these guys up, but they're like, oh, Figueroa and Kinsler, we can go without, I mean, that would just be terrible. So Figueroa's been awesome too because he's been able to go multiple innings. He's been great at the two and even three inning stints. And uh, Kinsler was doing well in the seventh and eighth innings. So. Um, I don't know, the bullpen overall, obviously, Axford's numbers stick out like a sore thumb, but the rest of them, fairly respectable. Henderson's ERA, uh, 1.06, Gorzolani, 2.30, Badenhop at three. His was high for a little bit, but he's had some really nice outings as of late. Mike Gonzalez, you know, uh, you know he can't seem to do his only job, which is get lefties out. His ERA is only 4.15, which isn't the worst. Then Figueroa with two one one and Kinsler with four point two four and his is only inflated because he had I think one or two blow up outings. Otherwise he's been great. So uh, the bullpen's been better than last year so far. Um, but you know maybe K Rod helps. I mean we'll see what happens. I guess.
1: Yeah, and I mean I don't know. I I think my biggest question is kind of with yours too is why in the world don't they just send John Axford down to a place where he can't hurt the major league team to work on this? Because you really need to get him in shape if you, want, if you want him to work. And I want him to be a part of the bullpen. Again, I am an Axford supporter like you, Jason. But you have to – he needs to work on this in a place where he's not going to hurt the team – and if you're gonna have eight people in the bullpen, you might as well have eight people you you'll you you do not mind using in any situation. Uh, I mean, unless they are that unconfident and everyone else below you, him. I just I don't see the point in having expert up at all because he just gives you one less guy you can truly go to in big situations.
2: Well it's just that thing in baseball, man, it's just loyalty to Axford. I mean, it, it, that's probably the bottom line is this team is loyal to Axford and they're gonna give him a shot. And you know, no matter how much we all disagree with it and it's obvious that we do and we all support him, but I mean the guy needs help and it's it's obvious and but I just don't I just don't see him sending him down at any point.
0: Yeah, I think the loyalty factor, they think he can straighten it up here and the, the five million dollars he's making they want to get yeah. big league innings out of him I and mean, even even if it's he's not pitching that well um i mean if he has a few more b- blow up innings um before Gorzolani comes back i think when Gorzolani comes back you've got to make that move if you know he's pitching better again than when Gor- Gorzolani comes back i think fires is the guy i would send down um unless someone else all of a sudden there's an injury or you know, someone else all of a sudden starts being really ineffective. But like I said, overall, I think the bullpen's been pretty good. If if Axford didn't have all these blow up games, the team's record would probably be better. The overall pitching numbers would be better. I mean, he's just been that bad. But
1: I feel you know, like we've uh, had that conversation
0: before. I know, I know. <laughs> I and, and I think, <laughs> and I really, really wish that, uh, that he would figure it out and maybe not go back into the closers role because just Henderson's been so good there. But if he could be, you know, a shutdown seventh eighth inning guy for us this year and, or just used in any, any situation where they feel his matchup against who's ever batting is best. If he can come in and get the job done, that, that'd be fantastic.
1: I'm just saying if you can send JJ Hardy down because he's sucking, you can send anyone down.
0: That's true. 2009 him. And did, did Bill Hall go down for a bit too that Uh-oh. year?
1: I don't remember. I'll or was Hall just straight Hall Yeah, I think he was straight up cut, actually. I don't Again, uh, And then the Giants picked him up.
0: Yeah, that could be. He might have – yeah, they might have just released him at that point. But, um, yeah, I mean, if you can send Hardy down, you know, weeks too. I mean, and we'll actually talk about that next segment, so I won't get into that. But uh, we'll see what K-Rod does. Hopefully he – finds the 2011 charm he doesn't even have to be quite that good because he was really really good but he's just got to be better than last year and just uh get outs when they need it so um let's take a break and when we come back we'll get into ricky weeks and jonathan lucroy and their early season struggles for the crew it's episode 65 of the view from bernie shelley podcast
2: there's few things in this world you can trust but when you come and visit the vfbc podcast you can trust that we will deliver unfiltered unedited and unrelenting insight and perspective on the milwaukee brewers whether you're looking for brad's power rankings the newest vfbc podcast or just fan perspective on the latest news in milwaukee stop looking you found a home at the view from bernie chalet podcast and blog Rate and review us on iTunes, and check us out on Stitcher. Got some sweet tweets? Hit us up on Twitter at I am Jason D, at BrewCrewB, and at BrewCrewBlue. The VFBC Podcast, a fan's perspective on the Milwaukee Brewers Baseball Club. Trust me, you'll like it.
0: VFBC Podcast, Episode 65. Ricky Weeks, Jonathan Lucroy, both struggling to start the season of course, last year, week struggled uh, mightily the first two to three months, really turned it on at the end. And last year, Jonathan Lucroy was pretty phenomenal all season. Of course, he was out for a little bit with that uh, wrist injury he had from a supposed suitcase that fell on his hand. Still would like to know the real story of that one. But uh, um, no. anyways, they both uh, struggling out of the gate, start the year, and um it seems in the media and fan reaction that uh, Ricky Weeks is getting a lot of flack for his slow start, which uh, probably somewhat so. But you don't hear much uh, talk about Jonathan Lucroy in his early season struggles. You don't hear callers in the talk radio station or on message boards or Twitter's really uh, getting on his case, calling for him to be benched or set down. And uh, Ricky Weeks, though, it's constantly bench him for uni, send him down, this, that. <laughs> And I don't really think it's fair. Um, They both have struggled. They both need to pick it up. If the Brewers are going to have success this season, big parts of that will be them. Um, What do you guys guys think of the media reaction to the struggles of both of these players, and is it fair or unfair?
1: Well, I think uh, Lucroy is kind of getting a pass because of his season beforehand, and I think Ricky Weeks got that same pass in 2012 when he had his struggles everyone's like well look what he did last year it's fine it's fine he he did fine last year i'm sure he'll turn around he's just slumping and now you're seeing that same exact event happen to him again this year and it's a little bit harder to tolerate for a lot of fans i think especially when he only had really two years of of extreme success um before that he was a very low average hitter struggled and never lived up to the expectations of the highly touted prospect that he was when the brewers brought him up to play full-time at 22 Um, and i mean i think that's kind of where that's coming from also ricky weeks is not hitting at all when it matters if there's anyone on base uh, he's not going to help you out in that situation whatsoever. Where Jonathan Lucroy, on the other hand, is still competent in a runners in scoring position situation. Uh, for instance, uh, Lucroy, while he's hitting, uh, what is it, 217 altogether, is still hitting 286 with uh, runners in scoring position, and he still has like a. Th- 380-something-ridiculous career average with runners in scoring position. So he is still competently hitting, while Ricky Weeks, with runners in scoring position, has an average of 81. And that's I think, pretty bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's way worse than 187. And I think that's where people are like, oh, someone's on base, Up oh, and there goes Ricky. He just struck out. He just ground, softly grounded out, and he's not helping the offense get runs at all and i think that's where the big struggles have come from and i mean even with men on he's hitting 81 with runners in scoring position position but men on in general he's hitting 94 so your hopes of ricky weeks doing anything with anyone on base is very minimal this season um lou croy on the other hand is hitting 235 with men on which still isn't good but i think the runners in scoring position is what's saving him from a bunch of Uh, media attacks, and I think the Ricky Week saving grace of at least he's taking walks, which he is, I mean, he has a 306 on base percentage to go along with his 187 batting average, Um, it just isn't holding up to what it's been, because yeah, all right, taking a walk when you're the fifth hitter or the sixth hitter, like he was earlier in the season when he was in a very important spot in the uh, lineup, getting on base isn't that important because we need someone to drive in that man from second. And that's your job is to drive in that man from second. And he wasn't doing that in where I think the, just the spotlight on Lou Croy in those situations, he is coming up with something. And when he's not coming up with something, it's not hurting the team as
2: much. Yeah. Well, in another, like kind of wrinkle to it too, is Lou Croy. It hasn't been bad behind the plate. and, I think that's what kind of separates the fan reactions between these two because yeah, they've both had their struggles at you know at the plate but Lucroy defensively has been, you know, just fine. And I think that is giving him more of a pass than than uh, Weeks is getting just because of that. And I mean, how many catchers have, have had very consistent major league careers just being a good defensive catcher? And that's kind of going to keep Lucroy out of the, you know, public opinion as much as Ricky Weeks is. Because Weeks is being looked at as a guy that can do what he's done in the past. And when he's not performing up those numbers, that's why I think the fans are kind of coming after him a lot more than they are Lucroy. Also, just talking to people out there, everybody's like, oh, what's up with this Scooter Jeanette guy? And it's like, you know... He's, he's there, and he's, he's doing so well lately that I think fan reaction to Ricky Weeks is kind of coupled with that. And they're saying, well, there's this guy that plays second base in the minor leagues that's doing well. Why don't they bring him up and try him instead of Ricky Weeks? And I think he's going to be taking the brunt of having a bad season more than Lucroy is at any point just because of there's too many things against him over Lucroy, even though th- their numbers are pretty similar. Um, that, that weeks is always going to take more criticism. Um, weeks is the established guy. Um, weeks is a name that most fans know. Um, so he's going to be the guy that's going to be in the public eye saying, you know, why aren't you performing? Why aren't you living up to our expectations? Um, Lucroy is, you know, always, always going to be solid. So I don't think that, you know, from a fan perspective, they're, they're really worried about what Lucroy is doing. Um, so I just think Ricky Weeks is the guy that, you know, just because of the situation is going to end up taking a lot more flack um, for a slow start than Luke Roy ever will.
1: Yeah, and I can agree with that. I mean, and when his errors happen, they're a lot bigger than any error Luke Roy could have because, I mean, the the things people do behind the plate just don't go as easily noticed for your casual fan
2: but they're respected We're, by the casual fan you know yes yeah. that's more why you know the the focus is on weeks
1: no and i i mean i agree and too i mean Lucroy also gets the pass because even though he's been good the casual fan doesn't see that but the casual fan definitely sees ricky weeks throw eight feet over the first base <laughs> <of 10. laughs> exactly so i mean that's something very easy for them to spot the one thing i keep bringing up with ricky weeks is all right if you don't want him out aside from Scooter Gannett, who isn't ready but I mean you can't argue with a lot of people about that because they don't understand readiness and I mean I definitely think Scooter is someone who needs a full season in AAA before I trust him to come up and start every day and I do want him to be the starting base or second baseman at one point but I want him to take over for Ricky Weeks and not just be thrown into the role because he has to be there so looking out of options you have Uh, You have uni who is slumping a bit or Alex Gonzalez, who is just as bad, if not worse than weeks. Um, So, I mean, really it's pick your poison at second base. And I'd rather go with a guy who's played second base there for the last eight years than a utility player who's hitting poorly. And I'd also go with a guy who has the potential and he's not going to do it, but he did have the potential at some point in his career to hit 30 home runs He's not going to do it this year. He's only had gotten three and we're almost two thirds in the season, but I'd rather go with that guy than the guy who's only hit 20 in his career. Or, you know, even though uni's on a hot streak, uh, I mean, he'll probably dip to the mean. He'll, he'll probably dip. He's to dipped. I think yeah.
2: uni's dipped.
1: Oh, he's definitely yeah. dipped, but I mean, he'll probably like, he'll probably not get above or much above where he's at right now um i don't think he's gonna you know get all those run producing opportunities and all those home runs uh i mean it's to the point where uni's even or alex gonzalez is even playing for uni and he's like i said he's doing horribly he's hitting 193 uh, he's hitting 104 with runners in scoring position like 90 with runners on um and then uni went from 280 about a week ago to he's i think he's at 237 now
2: Um, i think in the last week his uh batting average is uh, 0.096 so <laughs> that'll yeah. bring it down
1: yeah exactly and i mean so those are pretty much your other options your logical options besides for ricky weeks and i just rather go with ricky weeks uh i just you know they finally put him in a spot where he can't do much damage in the lineup by being a black hole um and he's just in a place that's Easier to hide him while he figures it out. And I, I do think he needs off days every now and then. But you just got to go with him because who else is going to do it?
0: It's, it just seems, too, that when Ricky strikes out, he strikes out looking really bad on, like, a, you know, a slider on the outside part of the plate. And he kind of lunges over at it and just looks bad doing it. Lucroy doesn't strike out as much, puts the ball in play more. So, I mean, that's also... Part of the uh, the backlash not really being there for Lucroy. I think. Um, the thing with Weeks is you do got to love the 22 walks and the 306 on base despite the 187 average. So he's still getting on base best he can with not really being able to hit well. Um, my thing is they both deserve criticism. They, they've both been way under where they should be for their talent level. Uh this team needs them both to produce, uh, offensively and defensively. And yeah, I mean Luke is at least doing okay defensively where weeks, you know, he's had some bad throwing errors. He I mean the other night he missed that pop up. I mean, granted, they still got a force out at second on the play, but I mean he literally just dropped a pop up because he one handed it and just I don't know if he lost concentration or what, but it just looked really bad. It was a play that you never see a big leaguer make, you know. Um They both deserve a lot of blame, but I would stick with both of them because I still think they're both the best options. Maldonado is going to get his one or two starts a week regardless, and he's not doing much either. So obviously I wouldn't switch anything with Lucroy. And as you uh, went over already, Brad, you know, Jeanette's not quite ready. I don't know what he's going to do. He's not getting hardly any extra base hits. He's hitting a lot of singles down in triple A. Um, don't know what he'd do at the big league level quite yet. And uni's just, you know, he, uni's eight home runs are great. You know, we, I don't think any of us would have expected him to hit eight home runs this early in the season, but you take those eight home runs away and his numbers would look really, really awful. And, and you can't take them away cause they happened and they were big hits, but, uh, his on base. You know, he was keeping it around 300 for a little bit there, which for uni is actually good. But ah, that's dipped to 261, and that's pretty awful. That 458 slugging looks pretty nice, but um, the average and the on base are terrible. So yeah. we just the the Brewers and the fan base just have to ride out the storm here and know that Lucroy and Weeks have a little bit of track. You know, Weeks has a longer track record than Lucroy, but Lucroy has a bit of a track record himself now, and they're good players that should eventually hit. And this team needs them to hit to. Uh, to get back in this race
1: yeah and i mean they're two very very important players so like you said it, they're people that will get will most likely get better and you just need to tolerate it
2: i think ricky weeks just needs to settle down on defense too and he might take a lot less criticism because you see the guy make a, a spectacular play and then he airmails one and it's like it just makes you really frustrated
1: yeah, I think it makes him just as frustrated.
2: Just, uh, yeah, <laughs> not more than us. But uh, you know, but that's, I uh, that's, that's gonna that's gonna put you in the spotlight. And I mean,
1: uh, really, that I don't think that stuff began low until he he really really started doing bad at the plate. And I think now he's just his entire game is struggling.
2: Off, it's all off.
0: Yeah, it's like now he's taking those bad at bats into the field, and it's affecting his defense, perhaps.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So we will take a break then and come back and wrap everything up as we always do. Episode 65 of the View from Bernie Shelley podcast.
2: There's few things in this world you can trust. But when you come and visit the VFBC podcast, you can trust that we will deliver unfiltered, unedited, and unrelenting insight and perspective on the Milwaukee Brewers. Whether you're looking for Brad's power rankings, the newest VFBC podcast, or just fan perspective on the latest news in Milwaukee, stop looking. You found a home at the View from Bernie Chalet podcast and blog. Rate and review us on iTunes, and check us out on Stitcher. Got some sweet tweets? Hit us up on Twitter at at I am Jason D at Brew Crew B and at Brew Crew Blue. The VFBC podcast, a fan's perspective on the Milwaukee Brewers Baseball Club. Trust me, you'll like it.
0: Episode 65 of the View from Bernie Shelley podcast. Time to wrap it up for our final segment. And uh, we'll start with previewing the week ahead for the crew. Um, they will start a three-game series with the Cardinals in St. Louis tomorrow night, uh, Friday the 17th. That'll wrap up this uh, long ten-game road trip. Uh, Willie Peralta will take the ball for the Brewers in Game One. He's three and three with a 5.40 ERA. He will face Jaime Garcia, who is four and two with a 2.88 ERA. That's a 715 start at Busch Stadium. Saturday, Marco Estrada will take the ball, coming off a very strong start his last time out against Pittsburgh. He's now 3-2 with a 5.32 ERA. He will face Lance Lynn, who is 6-1 with a 2.88 ERA. That is a 6-15 start from Bush. And then they will wrap up this uh, long road trip and series in St. Louis. Kyle Loesch uh, will take the ball at one at Bush Stadium. He's 1-4 with a 3.49 ERA. And he will face John Gast, who is 1 0 with a ERA of six. Uh, then the Brewers will come home for a nice long homestand, and that'll start on Monday the 20th with a three game series against the Dodgers. Then they'll have three against Pittsburgh and two against Minnesota before hitting the road again for another road trip. So that's the week coming up for the Brewers. Of course, there are six games under 500 heading into their game tonight against Pittsburgh. And I uh, really need to get things back on track. Alex, what do you have for around the NL Central?
2: All right, thanks, Jason. Well, Cubs starter Jeff Samarja finally earned his second win of the season against the Rockies, pushing his record to a whopping 2-5. and Samarja has been one of the Cubs' most consistent pitchers, but the stagnant offense in Chicago can rarely drive home runs and support of their supposed, eight, supposed ace at the moment. In fact, out of his nine appearances, he has only given up four or more runs three times. In early April, he lost a game against the Braves in which he struck out 13 batters and gave up four runs. So far, his main concern has been control, but what power pitcher doesn't struggle with that from time to time? He has given up 21 walks and 22 earned runs in 2013, so his record is not all on the shoulders of the Cubs offense, but Dale needs to get those bats going because Samarja had to hit a bomb to back his own effort and finally mark another win in his win column. Brandon Phillips is making every effort to be the Reds' all-time best second baseman. Joe Morgan, one of the game's best at second, currently holds almost all the team's record for his position, well until recently when Phillips took over Morgan in hits, which is currently 12.05 to Morgan's 11.55. Phillips should own most of the big records by the midway point since he is one double short of Morgan's 2.20, as well as three homers and 13 RBIs shy of those records. Phillips is getting a big boost to his offense now betting cleanup for the Reds and taking advantage of timely hitting. Phillips stated that he is able to focus more when men are on base and looks to hit the 100 RBI mark by the end of the season. With the 7 home runs and 36 RBIs at this point, there is no sign that Phillips won't fulfill that wish. When asked if he could have imagined being in the same class as Morgan, Phillips replied, I never thought about something like that. It's an honor or I've been here too long. It's one of the two. Somewhere along the road, the Pirates quietly assembled uh, what is proving to be a very dominant bullpen. Nicknamed the Shark Tank by pitcher Mark Melanson after swimming with Sharks in New Zealand, the name seems a fit, with the bullpen putting up a 2.89 ERA and allowing an opponent batting average of just two fifteen. Melanson and Greeley are also looking like Axford and Krod circa 2011, absolutely shutting down hitters in the 8th and 9th. Melanson's .43 ERA and Greeley's 16 perfect saves are two big reasons why the Pirates have won nine games in May. They get the Astros and Cubs for the two series, but then have to travel to Milwaukee and play Detroit for a four-game set. Given the trends, I would still bank on this bullpen holding up down the stretch rather than regressing to the mean. Cardinals starter Shelby Miller has been fantastic in his first season in the majors. Through eight starts, Miller owns a 1.4 ERA and 57 strikeouts in 51 and a third innings. His strikeout to walk rate is almost 5 to 1, showing he is not just a big power pitcher, he has great control and accuracy. But even the best pitchers will have some flaws teams will exploit. Miller's hitch comes when men are on base. Because of a slow delivery, opposing teams have been attempting to run on Miller any time they get on base. Out of eight tries this season, seven have been successful, including two out of three attempts for stolen bases from the Mets this week. Miller says his delivery issue is something he can change, and being able to adjust your delivery speed is just another weapon in this young pitcher's arsenal. If Miller can stay on the course and add the wrinkle of his delivery, he could not only continue to be very good, he could get even better. But if I were Matheny, I wouldn't worry about men on base with Miller on the mound, since only eight men have crossed the plate all season out of 196. Now, when you're worrying about a problem that happens 4% of the time, you are the definition of a micromanager. Back to you, Jason.
0: Thanks, Alex. Appreciate that as usual. And Brad, now we go to you to wrap things up with the uh, Chalet Award winner for Brewer of the Week.
1: Uh, Brewer of the Week, pretty easy choice this week. I mean, you had a lot of, uh, bad performances in this, uh, kind of bad stretch as a team that put the game, that put the Brewers six games under five hundred. So we're going with the one guy who's, uh, performing above and beyond right now, and that's, uh, Gene Segura, who, uh, is, not only has a .444 batting average over the last week, same as Nori Aoki, was also slugging .852. Um, has three bombs, five RBIs, and a uh, whopping five stolen bases, uh, three which were in one game against the uh, Pirates. And, uh, you know, just giving Brewer fans more and more reasons to love him. So it goes to Gene Segura, I think his first ever Brewer of the Week. Are you sure?
0: I think so, because I don't think at the end of last year he had any weeks that were good enough to win it. Um, you know, he was... Decent at the end of last year, the uh, 163 plate appearances he had, but I don't think anything like this. So you figure I should know the history of the award I'm in charge of. Exactly. Well, <laughs> you know, it's uh, now going into its third year, so it'd be hard to remember every single one.
1: No, lots to keep track of. <laughs>
0: um, all right. So before we wrap things up on episode 65, I have one more thing to talk about. Um, we were lucky enough to get um a couple copies of tom hodricourt's new book sent to us from the publisher it's uh, called 100 things brewers fans should know and do before they die um hodricourt wrote it i have not had a chance to read the whole thing yet i started reading it and have kind of just paged through it but uh it looks awesome i've heard a lot of good things from people who have completed the book already um, Jim Gantner wrote the foreword to the book, which is really good. And it's just, uh, it's a really cool uh, brewer's item. There's not a lot of books out there about the brewers. The few that are, it seems Hodra Court has wrote. And uh, he wrote the, uh, I think, The Brewers Essentials and then uh, Where Have You Gone, 1982 Brewers. So this is uh, his third book about the brewers. So. Um, like I said, it was really cool that the publisher contacted us, gave us a couple of copies, said, you know, when you want to talk about it on your show and, and give out a few copies. And I said, hell yeah, we'd love to do that. So um, if you got this far on the podcast, hopefully you did. Uh, tweet uh, to either myself uh, at I am Jason underscore D, to Alex at Brew Crew Beat, or to Brad at Brew Crew Blue. Just send either one of the three of us a tweet and use the hashtag vfbc book if you do that we will uh compile all the people who send us a tweet with that hashtag and uh just get it in by eh, wednesday night sometime we'll probably you know wednesday at like nine or ten o'clock if got it and by then we'll take all the people that did that put your names in a hat and pick two winners and then i will send each winner a copy of the book so 100 things brewers fans should know and do before they die by tom hodricourt Good stuff there. So, uh, like I said, send us your tweets with that hashtag, and uh, you could win a copy of the book. So, um, have either of you guys read any of Hardercourt's other books on the Brewers?
1: Um, yes, actually, um, I read his uh, God. Now, all I can think of is the. The Brewer's Essentials one? Yes, the Brewer's Essentials one. All I can think of is uh, the 100 things. But uh, the Everything You Need to Know to Be a Real Fan. And it's cool because not only is it nonfiction, but he has a lot of emotion written into it. So unlike normal nonfiction books, you get really involved in what you're reading. Um, So that's... A really cool part about it because i think that's lacking in a lot of sports books is that emotion or that that aspect that draws you in and i actually uh, he came in uh i met him about a month ago and he was coming in to my work to talk about the book and i told him that and we discussed it for a little bit um about how much like i just love that aspect and he said well hopefully this or he says that this should have the same type of feel to it so I mean, granted it is more of a list than the other one, which is a detailing right. brewer history, mm-hmm. but at least it has a little bit of more modern stuff. Cause I believe the, uh, at Brewers essential, everything you need to know to be a real fan only goes up to 2007.
0: Yeah. I've got the, um, the, where have you gone? 82 Brewers one. And that's pretty good as well. Kind of detailing that season and what, uh, some of the, you know, the main guys from that, uh, historic team are up to now. And, uh, Really Good job, Audrey Court's a, uh, a good journalist and um, does a really good job on these books. So that will wrap it up for episode 65. Once again, thank you so much for listening, we really appreciate it. Um, of course, as always, you can download the show on iTunes for your iPhone or your iPod. Uh, if you have an Android phone, make sure to download either the Stitcher or Beyond Pod app. I uh, cannot recommend the Beyond Pod app enough for android phones it's uh what i use for all my podcasts you can um organize them download them listen to them right through that uh it's it's pretty nice so uh and then of course right on the website um view from bernie shelley.blogspot.com and uh on itunes make sure to rate and review us it would help us out uh, move up the uh the rankings and uh, get us uh, more known out there so Thank you once again for listening. We appreciate it, Um, and that will uh, do it. So for Alex Wearsome, for Brad Ford, I am Jason Dalinger. Our apologies to John Axford. We ran out of time. You have been listening to The View from Bernie Shelley Podcast. Go Brewers.
2: No, that fox's name was Tom.
1: Well, uh, is the girl fox kit?
2: No. I don't know where I remember kit from, but
1: then you're a fucking liar.
2: No, I just recalled it somehow. I was in boys' dude. You got all that that wilderness shit. You sourced
1: the wrong source. So you're
2: a fucking liar. Well, it doesn't matter. I sourced my brain. Alright, that's good enough.
0: (laughs) Uh, I I sourced my brain.